Hey community, in today's podcast episode, we are talking about the history of tracks. Loop founder Matt McCoy sits down with the director of Loop Gospel, Otto Price, to talk about the history of multi-tracks in church, how they've seen them change over the years, how Otto was using them with DC Talk in the 90s. This is a really interesting episode. We hope you enjoy it. What's up, everybody? My name is Matt McCoy. I'm the founder of Loop Community. Welcome to Loop Live. Today, I've got a really really fun conversation that I'm looking forward to diving into. And it is with the new director of Loop Gospel, Otto Price. And um, Otto has, uh, he's a legend. He's been in the music industry for a very long time, playing live music, producing music. And today, what I wanted to talk with Otto about was the history of tracks. And we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into what tracks looked like 20 years ago. 15 years ago, and we'll kind of walk through how it's changed because the way that worship leaders use tracks now is totally different than people were using them 20 years ago. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm really excited to ask some questions about that. Wherever you're watching from, if you've got questions, type them into the comments and we might take a few live questions. So type them into the chat in YouTube or on Facebook, and we're going to take some live questions about the history of tracks so let's go ahead and bring in Otto Price. Otto, what's up, man? Hello. How you doing, sir? Hey, man. So glad to have you on here again. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> so you are the one and only, what is it, Sugar Bear? Is that, was that the uh, <laughs> Honey Bear? What was the nickname for you? Um, well, the, the technical name was Sugar Bear, but you can call me Honey Bear or you can call me um, Yogi Bear if you like. And Yogi Bear. So... <laughs> So for everybody who's watching this doesn't know, so Otto played yeah. bass guitar with DC Talk. His nickname Correct. was Sugar Bear. How did that nickname even come about? Well, a little history on DC Talk. First of all, um, Toby, Toby Mac, as, as in as Toby Mac, yeah. his legal name actually Kevin Michael McKeon. So it's kind of ironic that the two other guys in the band were Kevin and Michael. So a little fun fact. Yeah. Um, so he was born in October, um, had the nickname, uh, uh, his brother, when is Tober going to be born? And so he kind of went by Toby as a kid. So that's, that became Toby Mac. So being that it was kind of a hip hop hybrid group, we all had, yeah. everybody had nicknames. And so at one point they were going to call me the cat in the hat because I used to have this hat that was to wear. So, um, how the sugar bear thing came around, it was a joke, honestly, one night. They said, man, you play so sweet, man. It's like sugar. <laughs> You're sugar yeah. bear. And then yeah. people erupted in applause. And then if you know Toby, if he sees something that works one night, he'll try it again. If it works the second night, he continues to do it. So 10 years later, oh, man. sugar bear. <laughs> That's so awesome. So when did you start playing for DC Talk? Which, by the way, I'll start this by just saying that in the past couple of weeks, I've done a whole deep dive into DC Talk. <laughs> uh, I've listened to every single DC Talk album now, multiple times. Mm. Um, I've also watched a few YouTube like documentaries that mm. were like, I think they were like indie documentaries that were put out. Right. I watched them. I've done a little bit of a deep dive. When in that DC Talk timeline did you start playing? Yeah, so there were, let's see, five, eight, five albums. So I came in on album two. Uh, the first one was um, Heavenbound. Second one was New Thing. I came in on that record. I knew the end of that record. Um, then Three Last, Jesus Freak, 
and supernatural. So I came mm-hmm. in a uh, uh, new thing and then toured that a little bit, and then we did a uh, free at last and the rest is history. So you played free at last? Mm-hmm. And did you do the tours and stuff uh, for mm-hmm. that? Did you play the mm-hmm. Creation Fest where they, they came in on a helicopter? Yeah, the helicopter, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that is so epic. And I've tried everywhere to find footage of that because I just feel like that's yeah. so epic. And I can't find it anywhere. But yeah. um, I will say that of all the albums, I thought my favorite was Supernatural. And mm-hmm. after I've listened now to every single one multiple times, I think my favorite album is Free at Last. Mm. It is just such an epic album like yeah. so many good songs in there so tell me about like let's go let's start like in the beginning the free at last days i guess or a new thing mm-hmm. even you could talk about a new thing mm-hmm. were you guys using tracks then like were bands using tracks or were, was everybody yeah. just not playing a, a click like tell us what that looked like yeah that was um it feels like the dark ages we were um first of all everything was recorded this is kind of even pre this is definitely pre-Logic. Uh, there was no um, Ableton, nothing like that. Any recording that was happening was, um, first of all, going back a little further, two-inch tape was kind of the the um, technology at the time. And you could do 24 tracks, and if you linked them up, you could get 48. And then they called them Atari that had 48 digital tracks, but it was tape. It was, um, yeah, it was just tape. It was almost like an old-school com- computer. And yeah. so there was... No- so you recorded everything on a on a Atari or a, I think the um, Synclavy or the um, I forget the other one. Yeah, Synclavy. Those. So it's so like basically digital machines. It was tape, but you could actually have separate stems, basically, or outputs. Well, you had individual tracks, so you had up to forty-eight or ninety-six tracks of individual tracks recorded, and then. Uh, so that's how you made a record. So once the record was done, you would go back in and the mix engineer would realign from top to bottom, create the stems, or we would call them, um, really, the, we just got elements of it. So we didn't do the drums, we would just get like the loops or maybe background vocals and some airy keyboard parts. And so when we were touring, um, I think the newest technology was out was the... Um, we, did, we couldn't take we, we, they, the DAT machines, the ADATs. So they yeah. had eight tracks. So if you saw an ADAT machine, uh, it looked like um, an ADAT looked like basically a VCR, like a VHS tape. Basically, yeah. they were high end VHS tapes. So we took those out and you would have maybe 16 tracks of that. And so 16 tracks of just the elements. So if you heard it in a, a rehearsal, it would just be like elements that didn't make sense. The band live filled in everything to make the record sound like the record. And was there a click you were playing with? Mm-hmm. There had to have been, right? Yep. Were there so, vocal cues like saying verse two, three, four, or was that not even a thing then? Um, it depended upon the song and it depended upon the producer. Typically what would happen um, for us, um, there's something called Simti. Too. So Simti was, they're still using the movies, but Simti is um, it's an acronym. I need to, I should look that up before. But Simti basically locks audio to tape. That's how they still make movies. So things are done, frames. If you lose a frame, that's why things will get choppy in a movie. So there's 24 bit or 24 frames, uh, 25. 
non-drop and drop. So Cynthia was basically to get um, to get everything to lock in. And so then you would, uh, once you would lock in the Cynthia, then the Cynthia would read it to a, a machine like a uh, MPC-60, and it would tell if it was going to be. So early on, before we brought tracks out, we would actually bring out MPC-60s, and the samples would be on there. And then we pull the song up, and when the Cynthia would drive, it would actually start playing the MPC-60, and the band would just play. The good part was that you knew, like, you had off, like, one, two, three, you just start playing. The bad part is you get lost. You're you're out of luck. So the band is playing to a click. <laughs> but how did you know when to start? Um, sometimes it would just be a click. Literally, like a one, two, three, four. And you just have to know the song. And then but you know the you, arrangement. You know the arrangement. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Now, was every song on its own ADAT tape, or was the whole set list on an ADAT? Uh, typically, what would happen at that time, and this lasted for about a year or so, everything was on an ADAT, and it would, you'd play a song, you'd put your whole set list from top to bottom. So if you hit it, it was like a movie. Um, so if you look at Logic or Ableton, there's this thing called linear, nonlinear. So nonlinear means you can go from one one in a second to minute 48. That's nonlinear. Linear means you have to go from top to bottom one, either way, 48 minutes and just go and stop. So everything was, so what we probably have a one minute break, um, then start the song whenever in real time. And then after that's done, give it a couple seconds in the next song and then start that. And then basically you're recording the whole set list live to ADAT. And when you hit record, we hit play, you're basically playing the whole show yeah. from top to bottom. But if you guys wanted to make, what if like one night you're like, Hey, you know what? We're going to do free at last third instead of first. Mm. Then you couldn't make changes like that. Mm -mm. So that it was basically like, here's the set list we're going to do for tour. We're going to do it this way every single night. Exactly. No changes. And, and that works. Um, so worship, and if you look at a pop band, that, that's the one big difference, typically. Uh, worship kind of can get into that where there's a, it's pretty much locked and loaded. Yeah. But really, pop setting, it's, there's no DV, uh, there's no variance from what you did in rehearsals. You rehearsed two weeks, and that was going to be the show for the next 60 shows. Wow. Super interesting. And who actually printed those ADAT tapes? Like when you guys said, hey, here's the songs we're going to do, who like put your uh, set list together on the ADAT? Um, myself and a guy named Jason Halbert. And so it just depended on who was, who had yeah. uh, time so or had access okay. to. Um, and so Jason was our keyboard player and he would drive it. He was actually the one hitting record. So keyboard players typically were the ones driving these things. Okay. Uh, Jason now is the uh, music director for Kick, uh, Kelly Clark. So Jason would hit, um, he would yeah. do that, or we would do it together, and basically produce the live set. Yeah. So, okay, you've probably, you, you, you probably already answered this, but I just want to make sure I understand. The ADAP machine, mm -hmm. what was the sound engineer, the front of house sound engineer getting? Were they getting just one channel of all the tracks, mm -hmm. or were they getting like multiple, like here's the keys, and here's percussion, and here's mm -hmm. uh, synth? 
That's a great question. Yeah, there was typically at the highest, we would have 16 tracks. And so there would be Simpty, probably track 16, because Simpty was a very unique sound. And because it was tape, it would sometimes bleed. And so you may have something on track 15. So you would like want to be away from everything else in case there was a yeah. bleed over into the um, into the output. So we had Simpty, Rose, and Click was probably at 15. Okay. Um, so it was at 16, so, cause, so neither one of those would go in the house. Yeah. So Click would go in into our, our in-ears. And then usually tracks one through two were loops, um, three and four um, like guitars, or if we need some extra... Because we usually have two guitar, two guitar players there on the records. There's probably eight guitar parts going. So we would just pull elements that we couldn't reproduce two guitar players. Um, and there would be keyboard, stereo, um, then ambient noise. So at the most, we would have would be 16. But typically, we would write around 12 tracks, including Simpty and Click. Wow. And were you guys using Simpty because you guys were also linking up with video? Yes. Like on the screen That's behind you? Mm -hmm. That's the other reason. So with Simpty, um, now you can look at Dante, like the Dante system. They do a lot of that. Everything's integrated, and Ableton can fire off video. Well, that was happening with uh, to keep everything tethered together. When you guys started using this at like the new thing, Free at Last kind of era, which is what? Early 90s? 91, yep. 92? Um, um, actually, Free at Last was 93 to, uh, it came out in 94. So okay. 93 to like 95, we toured yeah. that record. So how advanced or new was this technology when you guys were using it? Or had people been using this kind of system for like 10 years already? No, it was, I mean, it was, we were, honestly, we were, we were kind of. Cutting edge? Cutting it. Didn't realize we were doing it, but we were. So like I was telling my wife the other day, we were on tour in Europe and saw this new band come out and they're called Backstreet Boys. And they were playing, doing something similar, but they were playing to tapes and playing with CDs, not with the full band. So we were actually doing things that, like Backstreet Boys weren't doing at that time. Yeah. What about the band's monitors? Did you guys have in-ear monitors back then? Mm -hmm. We did. You did? We did. Wow. And we were, the company we worked with is Claire Brothers. They're out of Pennsylvania. And so it was really, um, it depended upon, we uh, you know, on setup, so we probably five. We could only get five wireless packs. So I had a wireless pack. The three guys had a wireless pack, and then another with a yeah. guitar player. But usually the drummer and the keyboard player were, were basically hardwired in. Were they custom molds? Mm hmm. Okay. Wow. So have they? I guess what I was going to ask is like over the years, have you seen has the in ear monitor technology? the audio fidelity of it gotten like a lot better or was it all about kind of the same? Has it always kind of been the same? No. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go into companies yet, but I have, a, I have some favorites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I'll tell you companies like 64 audio. Yeah. It's just, it's a, from what I had in the nineties to now it's, it's almost the difference of watching, UHF TV on a color TV versus yeah. ultra high definition. It's yeah, that okay. radical yeah. of a difference. So the technology so ultra, has advanced there. 
Oh, well, yeah. And I think and when I first had my in-ears, I went to audiologists. So that's a lot of it. So the audiologists were the ones who were creating it. Now you have whole companies and corporations that, are, that work with audiologists, but they're also sound technicians. Wow. So there was a sound so engineer. Sense, like the audiologists were more like for hearing aids. They're just yeah. trying to give you something. So it wasn't like right. sound fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea why, but for some reason I always think of like, like I, when I picture like DC Talk playing in the 90s, I think, oh yeah, they probably weren't using inner monitors. They were just like, they had floor wedges, yeah. you know, like, but you guys were on wireless in-ear packs then. Mm-hmm. Probably a sound engineer off to the side stage, right? Doing your yep. monitor mixes. Yep. You're like, hey, more bass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, how were you controlling the tracks? Who was controlling them and how were they controlling them? Yeah. So the, the tracks were, um, they will go, we talk about, we went computers, but typically at that point, we would either have um, either the keyboard player and there was. We also had it tethered to, enslaved to, we had two identical machines. So we had somebody right that would hit the record, or hit the play button. So the keyboard, had to, keyboard player didn't have to worry about it. If it didn't happen, the keyboard player had to have accesses to it as well. But typically it was somebody off-site, like a sound engineer uh, from Clay Brothers, hitting play. That was really And they would just press play. And then mm-hmm. once they press play, you guys play your whole set. They never have to touch it again. Um, press play. Um, and because ADAX only had like the 40 minutes or an hour, we would do whatever versions uh, of that five or six songs, stop, Toby would talk, and whoever would talk, and then they'd take out the, and then put the next um, batch of songs we're going to do. So they take out batch A, put batch B in, and then whenever he gives a oh. cue, we hit play. That's what that was gonna be my next question. Is like if you've ever been to a concert before, you, people obviously know that like there's elements between songs mm-hmm. where you know Toby like talks or you know has, and it feels like it's probably not totally timed out. Or was it? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like was it actually in the track? Like here's like your talking space. You've got thirty seconds before the next song starts, or was it like just stop the ADA, let him talk for however long he wants to talk, and then press play again? A little bit of both. That's a great question, man. Um, it's really, Toby's pretty, especially in those settings, is very regulated. So he knew how long he was going to say. So we, so if he knew he had a break, he would say, okay, how long would I need a minute? Okay, great. And he would time it. And so we were within like five, really four or five seconds of always landing it. Like you could almost, you could almost set your timer. But when he started so talking. So it was programmed in. To yeah. the track, uh, uh, the the break, but Toby had a way to pace how he wanted to communicate. Yeah. And if things got long, he would like pull it back in. Like if somebody said something that was a bit of a distraction, he'd pull it back in and try to get slotted in time. But while he's talking, though, you're not rolling the tape, right? No. Okay. So then he talks, and then you press play and start up. Correct. Again. Correct. Okay. Very interesting. What so did you guys even? Yeah, go ahead. No, he'd sing a song and blah, blah, blah. And this is why we're a bunch of Jesus freaks or whatever. And then yeah. we'd hit it. People applaud. And you got like a couple seconds until the song starts. Yeah, hit play and go. Yeah. So um, I keep calling them tracks. What did you guys mm-hmm. call them back then? 
tracks. Okay. Yeah, because that's where they were. Yeah. Did you guys ever call them stems or multi-tracks or loops? It was always just tracks. Or was it playback? Like, were there any? What other words did you guys use to describe them? Um, tracks are really what they were. We we pulled them from the multi-tracks from yeah. the record. So like little elements. We never really got into words then. Uh, okay. I started hearing that terminology, that terminology really two thousands. Okay. Because stems became like a more concentrated thing, but we really had elements of the tracks. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so those are all the questions I can think of for that era. Mm, now I'm curious, yeah. how did you see tracks advance or change after that? So now you're moving out of new thing, you know, out of like 1993 into like, let's say Jesus Freak, 97. Yeah. You know? yeah. How, did tra how did track technology change? Well, that was huge because then we went into... Um, Digidesign started to really get in there and start creating um, some Pro Tools early on. It was really starting. To, it was now tape to um, yeah. hard drive. And so the yeah. joke I used to make was when you're recording a record back in the day, if it was, if it was off, the joke was, hey, tape don't lie. But now we're hard, now we go, well, hard drive don't lie because now you're not <laughs> recording on tape, you're recording on a hard drive. And so Digidesign was doing that. And so then they created um, something that worked with ADOT, with ADATs. And so then you could run the ADAT through the, those, through the Digidesign system. And then the next tier was actually taking computer down the road, using actual, um, get like a tower, like old school uh, Mac with the tower with, with yeah. um, interfaces. And, and so that's when it really got, it starts to and you would run them from Pro Tools? Run them. Actually, we, we used the hardware from Pro Tools, but we were running Logic. Early, uh, eMagic was the company. Yeah. eMagic was the Oh, wow. I remember that, yeah. eMagic. Mm -hmm. So you were using hardware from them, but you were running Logic. Mm -hmm. um, and then were you, at that time, using any sort of MIDI controllers or no? Yes. Still so MIDI pressing play on the computer and rolling? Yeah, you, you almost have to think, this sounds like you mentioned the wheel, but it really, but in the mid-90s, MIDI was only 10 years old, roughly. So the idea wow. of MIDI being a thing, we're only 10, 12 years in, because it's really the, the 80s when it started to yeah. become, you could sync things up. So <laughs> like in 95, we're still, we're still on the front and getting key keyboards to lock in. So we started, we didn't really do a lot of keyboards locking in yet. We would just play tracks and a few times we'd run MIDI with loops and because they were sort of safe to run. And then once we started getting to Magic and they were really good with digital, we were like, okay, this actually changes everything for us. Now we can play live. If we need to stop or if we get off, we can hit stop on, on, the, uh, key, on the space bar and yep. then queue up to the next section and then one, two, three, and hope you time it right. And then the band kind of locks in yeah. for the first measurement or the next measure and then start playing. What was cool about going to Logic is that you were now able to also customize your set list probably. You could probably Correct. make a change if you needed to. Like, hey, we need to tighten up those two songs and yep. bring it all in. Mm -hmm. Cut out a verse, add a verse, 
Yeah. Um, going to the Jesus Freak era, I knew we, we definitely extended songs. We started realizing, man, going right into a, to the bridge, like on the river, it didn't give people a chance to really warm up. So then we added like an uh, eight bar break that was just like to let them talk and then go into the bridge. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, do you remember how many outputs you were doing at that time with the eMagic hardware? With the eMagic? Uh, yeah, eight. So eight. we actually condensed it down. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you went from 16 to eight. We went down and then we went back up. But originally, we just want to start with eight and see how we can roll with that. And then yeah. pretty soon we got up to 24. It's it a lot. You find, did you guys find that um, logic in that, that era was as reliable as the ADAT or it was the computer crashing and stuff? And you were like, maybe we should go back to ADAT. <laughs> yeah, we had a few, but overall, pretty, pretty rock solid. Okay. Were you running I mean, a redundant we, computer? Yes, we had a redundant computer. And this is, also you have to remember, this is kind of, I'm kind of doing a little bit of a history in my head. I think Steve Jobs was gone at that time. He didn't, I think he came back in the early 2000s. Or oh, yeah, he had left for uh, he had left. his thing next or something. Exactly. And so because of that, Apple was an open platform. So you could buy, not just, a, you could get Apple like a, um, a computer that was made to run Apple software. So we had several machines like towers that were, were that. And then, um, then later on we started to bring in, um, we actually had the old, uh, like jelly bean, remember those colored IMAX? Yeah. We started some of those. You used those bit. to run yeah. tracks? Yeah. The, the IMAX or like the, which yeah. that, that's when Steve came back and he designed yes, the IMAX. Back. Yeah. But that's one of the side flow there. But but with DC Talk, we were running, we were just running those two, um, towers, and we had PCI cards. And the PCI I'm kind cards. of amazed that those computers could do, yeah, eight tracks, sixteen tracks. Yeah, but that's all they had on it. We weren't. I mean, they were. We didn't have any type of Excel, Microsoft Office. Yeah. It was just that software. Just tracks. Mm -hmm. That is so wild. Yeah. Um, and that was Logic that you were using. At the well, at the time, it was called eMagic. And then the Logic was sort of a hybrid. But eMagic was a German company. Uh, they were based in Germany. And they basically created Logic. And then Logic later on uh, was bought out. Apple bought Logic. Yeah. Was there a reason you guys did not use Pro Tools? Um. It was more preference. I think um, logic, this, this is me too. Um, yeah. Pro Tools at the time felt more, I used it a lot for recording and editing, beat detection, um, live audio. But when I wanted to do programming, I went to logic. And so it just felt more versatile and more musical for me. Yeah, it's very interesting. I actually just looked up, just for fun, just a screenshot of what eMagic looked like. Yeah. And uh, Apple bought it for $30 million. Yeah. <laughs> um, super interesting. So then I wonder if they ended up just kind of shutting it down and then making Logic. Mm -hmm. Or they turned it into Logic or something. Yeah, they turned it in. But it's basically, 
basically the the way it feels looks is still from the magic platform. Yeah. Wow, man. Super interesting. Okay, yeah. so then leaving Jesus Freak era, we're into what? Like early 2000s, like 2001, 2002. When did Supernatural come out? Actually, Supernatural came out in 99, oh. I believe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was yeah, in maybe, No, no, no. So Jesus Freak, 96. Um, yeah. Supernatural is like 98, 99. Okay. And then we're using like E-Magic. All the way. So, in the end of DC Talk, were you guys using eMagic or what were you guys using Logic. at that point? Logic. Okay. And to this day, um, I think Toby's, Dave Wyatt is his MD. I think he uses Logic still. Still uses Logic for playback. Still uses Logic. So, they'll, they'll go between Logic. I think he uses Logic a lot. And so, some people were using Cubase, some people were using Logic. Uh, I have a friend of mine, David Doss, was Rebecca St. James MD, and he was using Cubase. Uh, logic was being used. Um, so really those were the primary. This is really and then Ableton really started to take off in 2002, okay. 2004. And then Would that use... was a lot of people use that a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's probably when Ableton took off. Would you say that right now still most people are using Ableton Live or are there people using Logic still for playback? And my my and what I've seen working in churches and also working with artists, I think in a church setting, then it's Ableton. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's, that's the, because it gives you more versatility and more yeah. for changing key tempos, being able to flow, etc. Um, and the other, it's, it's more for the old heads like, you know, Dave, who, who's just been in logic, they use it. I think, Frankenstein, um, Jeff Frankenstein from, from Newsboys, I think he uses something like, it's like Logic, and he may have, pro, but, he's, but he has, he has um, two machines running, or three machines running, actually. Three? Mm-hmm. Two redundant? He's got a laptop, and he's got another one just in case, and he's got one off-site that if it, both of those go down, it's, it, you know. Wow. Because it's running not just music, but video for Newsboys. I wonder how often he's had to actually rely on maybe that third computer. I hope never. <laughs> I bet very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like an airplane, like the big, big uh, jet commercial airliners, like have redundant systems like times three. Exactly. Exactly. And you never want to get to that third one and they don't usually, never, but um, never, never. That's why they're so safe. So that's interesting. And we don't need to talk about Ableton because I think everybody watching here knows Ableton. That's yep. what, my generation, at least, you know, I've been using Ableton Live since 2002. Right. It was Ableton Live version three, I think, at the mm-hmm. time when I first started. So everybody on Loop Community knows what Ableton Live is, but I, I find it very interesting to hear what you guys were using before. I actually would not have guessed Logic. That's really interesting. So yep. when you moved over to, so eventually you did some music with Sonic Flood, right? Yep. What were they using for tracks? Yeah, so we, Logic. <laughs> Logic. It is a broke, yeah. We did yeah. a lot of, and it was really, really cumbersome and because that's when, that's when we really started to push the envelope. Not say push the envelope, but I think we tried, we could see what Logic was capable of. Realize it's, it wasn't suited for the format because it's worship. Yeah. Interesting. What, um, do you think there's anything in the track world right now 
that's been a total game changer that you've seen in the past like decade? Was it would it be Ableton Live? Do you think that has been like the biggest shift? I think that's as far as hardware or software. Um, I'm, I, I would say I, either actually, yeah. I would say Ableton for sure because it and with what now you can put the it's it literally elevates churches sonically to yeah. a commercially viable sound. Yeah. Because before you're you're building or you're making elements, but now you can you know, it's sonically gonna sound like a record. And yeah. people are when they come to churches, they're they're becoming accustomed to hearing, wow, this sounds like a concert. Yeah. Did you guys eventually ever start using what we call as cues, where it's like verse, two, mm-hmm. three, four, brain, bain, yeah. you know, bridge, two, three, four. Did you guys ever eventually yeah. start doing that? Yeah. We did that in DC Talk. Um, and I went over this, but we did that in DC Talk with, with um, Jesus Freak. Okay. We did, <laughs> so we did what? It, we would create cues. Yeah. So someone so would we record one, themselves two. in a microphone. Yeah. 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 Literally, or if we had a laptop, in the hotel, we would go, okay, here's where the verse is. Uh, we usually just for start off, start up for a section, and then for sections that were extended that weren't like the record, we would go, don't don't go to the verse. Like It's almost like having a cue in there. Yeah. Uh, but typically, that was rare because it was just starting the song because we had an MD in the mic we could tell yeah. each other what's going on. Yeah, see, that's interesting. I kind of was going to guess that, that it was always just the start of the song. Yeah. Because you guys just knew the arrangements. You knew the songs, like the back of your hand. And it's funny because churches now play through the entire song with every single section queued off. <laughs> right. Verse 2, 2, 3, 4. Chorus 2, 3, 4. Pre-chorus 2, 3, 4. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, but I wonder how many yeah. churches would be totally lost if all they had was the start cue. You know? It's but a touring um, band is a different story. You're playing yeah, the same but, set list every night over yeah. and over. It would get old hearing those cues constantly. Well, I think the cues sometimes can be like um, we, in the church we call it the, what the confidence monitor. I used to joke and call it the lack of confidence monitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you don't know the learn the lyrics uh, sometimes, and so you just. You just, yep. You're hoping. So if the confidence monitor goes down, a worship leader would be lost. And so yeah. my, my whole thing, I think there's something to mentally learning the song yeah. and knowing it. So matter, you don't really need the sections, but it's there as kind of a um, yeah. security blanket. Okay, two questions that came to my mind. Yes, sir. This is not about tracks, but did you guys have confidence monitors like churches have now where they have lyrics up, you know, on the bottom so that the worship leader yeah. knows how to sing the lyric? Did you guys have lyrics at all anywhere? Nope. Nope. Totally memorized. Hey, here's, here's a true fact. Um, we, I was kind of shocked. We uh, did a re, um, DC Talk did a um, reunion tour in 2017, a cruise. And the guys hadn't sung the songs in like 17 years and they needed a confidence monitor for their own song. So that was the first time I've seen that. But in worship, when we did, um, was talking flood, Geo, it was all in his head. Wow, totally yeah. memorized, yeah. Which I and mean, then we were getting into like, you know, we were doing spontaneous songs before there was a thing. So he would just create little things, and we would create, we'd follow him. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So, not that I want to bust anybody here, but yeah. I'd be curious, did you guys ever use vocal tracks? In the case of like, hey, vo- voice is totally shot. We're just going to like yeah. have the lead vocal track go. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> yeah. We probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I'm being honest. No, I think, you know. Um, or were in, did you see any bands doing that? Was that like a thing or no? Um, I don't. In worship, I never. I've seen them a few times with live pop groups for sure and yeah. it's kind of unnerving like whoa that's the little effects in everything like the record and so yeah yeah, yeah just effects background vocals maybe or like yeah. a gang vocal going like whoa whoa you know yeah that's it yeah but not like uh, a lead vocal so what you described basically of how people were using tracks at that time yep would you say that that's kind of how most bands in that era were doing it like Audio Adrenaline Newsboys yeah. We probably were doing it a little bit more advanced because we had more going on, but yeah, most everybody was kind of doing like that. Yeah. Did you ever hear of churches using tracks at that time? That's a great question. Um, no. Um, yeah. I a friend about this last night. Um, there's this thing called the Brownsville Revival down, down in Florida. And before we went down there, and Lindo Cooley was a worship pastor, and these guys just played, and he had Chester Thompson drums. But there was an era I, I kind of miss with not with that. With the, the guys were just playing everything live. But what it didn't have is the it was just really good, really good playing jam. But there was a lot of orchestration and production like we have now. Yeah. Did you guys ever have people approach you asking for your tracks? Like maybe a cover band and they're wanting to do Jesus Freak. And they're like, hey, yeah. could we actually like buy your stems or your tracks from you? Yeah. We did have it with DC Talk. A few times we did, but really with Sonic Flood, that's, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't, I wish there was a good community then. Because yeah. Yeah. we had a lot of people go, hey, you know, because we would just make them and, um, even I was serving in a church and Je- I had Jeff come to lead, uh, to lead worship and we did, um, I could sing of your love forever. Yeah. And I had to go back and find the loops I made and the, and the string parts. And I was like, man, I wish I was just somewhere that I could download my own music. But, yeah. um, it, because he wanted to sound like the right. And I was like, well, yeah, I have to look through computers that are ancient. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions, but he's okay. Here's another one that popped in my head. Yeah, yeah. You guys are using Logic. We're, I'm guessing that it was all just like one show in one session of Logic. Or yeah. did you have individual songs in their own sessions saved as like different Logic files? It was one. We had both, but typically with, with Sonic Flutter, with DC Talk, it was pretty much just top to bottom. Even though it was non-linear, had it linear. We had little breaks, tempo yeah. changes, everything. Um, so usually just one, like the, we call the Jesus Freak set. And the, yeah. from top to bottom, it was that. Isn't it fun? Just like, honestly, just thinking about it, I'm like, I love tracks. I yeah. just think it's it's just so fun to be able to like program in all those kind of things. Like you throw a pad in here, yeah. like, hey, we're going to do yeah. a speaking moment here. Let's just throw this like pad file in. Exactly. I just think tracks are so fun. 
And uh, does it make you, just when you talk about this, I didn't even play for DC Talk, but just talking about it makes yeah. me miss it. <laughs> it does. Cause you does it make you miss how it? Much, yeah, you do. Yeah. Because you realize, especially when you pull up the different samples, like you mentioned, uh, Free at Last, we did um, uh, uh, Love's Verb and, you know, dunna, all these, take this mug from a ride, you know, oh, dunna, you know all this, yeah, <laughs> all these kind of all these kind of things just fun and it just gives you a great it just it's nostalgic but it's also it's like music yeah. captured an air emotion all these things yeah. But, yeah i love the beginning of love is a verb the way it hits yeah. like so hard it's mm-hmm. like oh man yeah <laughs> that was that that was such a good live song oh for sure 100 percent. man and well so i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate you sharing um Yes, sir. Your history, your story of tracks. If there's anything else you want to share, go for it. Um, but I appreciate you answering all these questions because I've always been curious, yeah. like how are tracks run back yeah. then? You know, as a when I was a teenage kid coming to the DC talk shows, acquire the fire. Or, uh, I remember going to like a, a yeah. tour. I think you guys were on a Audio Adrenaline. I think Audio Adrenaline was with you guys at one point. Yep. I wondered. <laughs> yeah, I wondered how that stuff was all run. So thanks for sharing, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, and sometimes, yeah. back in the day, some people were even, I think Audio A, did, they would run a CD sometimes. And Ooh, so with really? different cues, which is really, and so a click in certain elements, like a shaker or something. Yeah, just yeah. a pan, like a very simple track. Very like simple. literally using panning, like click on the left, tracks on the 100%. right. 100%. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, if that CD gets scratched, you're in big trouble. You're like skipping <laughs> to the next song, yeah. Oh man. Well, Otto, great to see you, man. Thanks for taking the time. You too. Always yes, good sir. to connect with you. Yeah, we'll talk yes, soon. Yes, sir. All right, you guys. That is the history of tracks, at least from uh, Otto's perspective, which I think is really cool to hear how bands like DC Talk, Sonic Flood, uh, were using tracks back then, and uh, just always interesting to kind of hear how tracks have changed. Like when you think about how you're using tracks now at church, it's kind of shocking how much it's changed. Um, it's a million times easier <laughs> for sure to use tracks now than it has ever been. If there's any time, if there's ever been a time to use tracks, it's for sure been now because there's no excuse not to. It's just so simple. Um, but it's just cool to know kind of where it all came from. So anyways, type down in the comments, what's your favorite thing that you heard today? What's the one thing that like stood out to you the most that you were maybe shocked by? Maybe even type down in the comments too, how, what were tracks like when you first started using tracks? What was your first experience using tracks? Did you use Ableton Live? Were you using Pro Tools, Logic, a CD, a tape cassette? Type it down in the comments. Love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the community. We'll see you next time. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, let us know what you thought. Write down in the comments, wherever you're listening, watching from, what you thought. Make sure you send us a message. Subscribe to our channel, YouTube, Facebook, and stay tuned for more from Lip Community.